Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. I have been so eager during my visit to New York City to get to Sunday morning and see you. Why? Because this past Friday, I had the opportunity to be with your church staff, doing a, some staff development together and experience them as very engaging people who have a heart for the mission of this church. And then yesterday, on Saturday, I was at your Halloween party up on the roof and met children with their parents and elders and some people from the community and whetted my appetite for meeting more of you today. I've known your, your transitional pastor, Patrick Vaughn, for a long time, and I know him as bright and engaging and uh, have heard him speak of you in some fond kinds of ways. So now it's my pleasure to be with you more of you, this body of Christ, here in worship and online with worship as well. So thank you today for being the gathered church, and thank you for your warm hospitality welcoming me among you. What is God like? If we could devise a way to gather mental paradigms, mental images of the image of God. From common New Yorkers in this area of Manhattan, I wonder what would be the result. I would guess some might say, God is a spiritual being who, with a big blank bang, flung the stars and the moon and the sun into space and then left the premises never to be seen again. Some others may have a very different view that God is an overly involved heavenly parent, like a heavenly helicopter parent, anxious about our every move, controlling almost everything. Others might see God, describe God as angry and petulant and looking for a pound of flesh, searching for who God can punish next. But all of these, or I guess rather none of these, does God claim in the scriptures. Instead, the writers of the Bible describe God very simply in another way. God is love. God is love. The nature, the character, the essence of God is love. And then the Apostle John uses this great uh, word picture for us, this great analogy for us in this passage. When we take up a permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. Have you heard this old colloquial phrase, run of the house brings to mind a picture of hospitality opening the door and inviting our guest into any room 
anywhere in the house, making themselves at home. Reminds us of that new commandment Jesus gave the disciples. When we want to know if we, when we are disciples of Jesus, it is when we are loving one another. This one new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And then John develops this picture further at home in, has the run of the house, but then becomes at home and mature in us. So evidently we are works in progress. That God makes us God's own. And we are fully disciples because God has made us God's own. Yet there might be some of those rooms in our house. The houses of our lives where we are hesitant perhaps to open the door. We need some partners in this endeavor of becoming formed as Christian disciples. So how will we know when we get there? How will we know when we are reflecting who God is in us and when love has the run of the house? Let me suggest two brief ways. One, I was reminded of this morning, early, leaving the manse, walking down the street to a local coffee shop to get some coffee and coming back. And I imagined a group gathering at one of those coffee shops this morning. A group of younger, maybe millennials, Generation Z, who are not a part of a, a faith community, not a part of a church, and perhaps on their way to gather, a friend group who meets and gathers there, perhaps on their way. They saw people walking into church buildings. And so the topic of the Christian movement becomes a topic of conversation among them. And they may say something like, I don't know much about what they do, those Christian people, when they gather together in their buildings. But I do know one of them. He's the guy in our office where I work. He's the guy when you have a problem, He's the one you want to talk with because he's not like the rest of us. In conversation, you know how we tell our stories. And when we pause, you're just waiting to jump in to tell your stories. He's not like this. He listens and he asks another question and another question. It, it's, it's like a form of love, almost caring. And I don't know how he gets this work done because all the people in the office tend to go to him and talk with him when they're struggling with something. It's, it's, Form it. Is this what those Christian people are like? It's the sample size I have. Or another in this group at the coffee shop might say, I'm not sure exactly what they're up to either, but I do, I do know one who lives in my building next door. Their family's going through a really difficult time. They have some stressors in their life, some challenges that anyone would be stressed about, and I'm sure they are. But she, she goes through this with a serenity, even though I can see the stress in her life, the distress. There is a serenity. It's like a peace that's beyond my ability to comprehend or understand. Is this what they are like, those Christ followers? Then one other might say, I too don't have a great reference point, except I know one 
who I also work with, and he's the guy in our office who is always coming to the rest of us and inviting us to participate in something. Something that helps, you might say, the, the least of these in our world. Something that addresses something that needs to be put right in our world. He's always inviting us. To, he has a heart for a heart for those who are struggling, isn't it? So imagine this conversation. That those people in our world who know very little about what happens in the Christian church. The one thing they know is they are the people. They are the ones who are endeavoring. Who are doing their best to love this world as it is. We may know nothing. This is the kind of gossip. The kind of buzz we hope gets created about who we are. By this, by this, we will know we are disciples when we love one another. We love this world. This is how we will know we are disciples of Jesus. If we can fast forward in some way in time, until next year, the last day of October, and we gathered again in this place, and somehow we could have conversation with one another, and we were able to say, now, one year later, we are more loving versions of ourselves than we were one year ago. Then we might turn to one another and say, this church then is being successful in living into its mission, for it is forming us to be people who love better, who love better. So how can this happen? How can love become at home and mature in us and have the run of the house? It's a beautiful picture to move towards how in the world can this take shape? First of all, receiving the love of Jesus deeply into our lives. I'd like to make a statement that sounds so obvious and yet I found it very difficult to embody. The greatest challenge in the Christian life is to receive God's love. To really, actually receive God's love. Because when we do, we find these internal, internal objections or hesitations rising in most of us. Do we deserve that? What have we done to earn that? How could this be so... Can it be as good as it appears to be? Let me try a fill-in-the-blank with you to, that might help illustrate this. I'm going to invite you to fill in the blank with one word out loud in just a moment. Let's see if this is an old saying that is here in New York City. An honest day's pay for an honest day's... Yes. Isn't this the way our world, our economy works. We apply effort. We put forth work. We are compensated in accordance with our efforts and with our work. And this is generally how our world works with our economy. And yet, it's not God's economy. God's economy is very different. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors and writers that many of you would know. And he says it this way, we cannot do anything to increase God's love for us. Neither can we do anything to decrease God's love for us. For God's love is full and complete already. 
It doesn't matter how much we fail or sin along the way, God loves still, period. It doesn't matter how worthy we are or how what we do in the world, we cannot increase God's love, for it is full and complete already. It is mind-boggling when we try to wrap our minds around this and comprehend the majesty and the mystery of God's love. Receive it, receiving it deep down in our bones. So, church, I would invite us today to trust that it may be as good as it is to receive God's love deep down in our bones, in our lives, and embrace it and trust it and then live from this reality. In this way, love will become at home and mature in us. And then along with this, you might have heard in the scripture I read a moment ago about banishing the fear. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Now, allow me to pause and make a distinction. By fear, I do not mean concern. Concern is recognizing challenges, problems, threats in our world, taking appropriate action to meet the concerns, uh, thinking, acting, feeling, moving forward, proactive, addressing the things we need to address. That's concern. Fear is different. Fear takes concern and ratchets it up two notches, three notches, four, further up until we live in a state of anxiety and we interpret everything through fear. And the message we hear most loudly is be afraid, be very, very afraid. If our world ever needed communities gathered around love, communities who are unafraid, who are courageous, who are proactive, moving forward, we need them now. God has positioned us and equipped us to be those communities, we call them churches, gathered around the way of Jesus, and we, church, will not be afraid. I'm remembering Ludmilla Hyarova. When I do a Making the Shift weekend with the church, oftentimes we'll show a video. It's, it's about four and a half minutes long, and it's her telling her story. At the time of the filming, she's 82 years old. She lives in the Czech Republic, and she makes this statement. During my lifetime of 82 years, we've had two totalitarian regimes, the German Nazis, the Soviet communists. And then she says, but the word of God says 366 times, do not be afraid, do not fear. So we weren't afraid. As if it's that simple. I hope none of us will never experience the sorts of things that Lumilla has experienced where she is, yet she has found a way to banish the fear. There is no room in love for fear, for well-formed well -formed love banishes the fear. I think this is, this is how I understand it, that love and fear have an inverse relationship with one another. When the love goes up, the fear declines. When we know we are loved by God fully and completely, we can't do anything to decrease or increase. It is full and complete. The circumstances of our life recede in significance. They are still important and they are still there, 
They just don't have ultimate importance for us. Inversely, when we're not sure about God's love and who we are in that love, the circumstances of our lives are ultimate. Ultimate significance and fear can easily creep into our lives. So this is the great, one of the great opportunities for God's church, that we will not be controlled by fear, rather by God's love. Our world needs communities of faith gathered around the way of Jesus in this way. So how can love have the run of the house? Receive God's love more fully, welcome it into our homes, banish the fear, and determine Determine we are going to love. The scripture says, we though are going to love, to love and be loved. It is time. It is time for us to set our intention. Our intention towards being loving people. Halfway through the Gospel of John, Jesus concludes his teaching and starts to head towards Jerusalem, there's a small phrase. He set his face toward Jerusalem. It's like he set his intention. Whatever's going to happen there, he sets his intention towards Jerusalem and he will not be deterred from pursuing this course of action. Through my work in Pinnacle Leadership Associates, we had the privilege and opportunity with engaging and interacting with many congregations of various denominations around the country. It's fascinating sort of work, and as you might imagine, get to observe many responses to the cultural shifts in our world and how churches are responding to this. And I would have to say there are some. There are some who are giving in to the fear that permeates our culture. But at the very same time, I can tell you that something else remarkable is happening. Members in churches are discovering their identities as disciples of Jesus as if they've never discovered this before. They're remembering that they are loved and that perfect love casts out fear, that God's love banishes the fear. And in the process, they are coming alive. They're coming alive, and it's like the, the winds of these cultural changes are blowing across dormant coals, blowing the ashes off, and they're firing again, fanning them into flame. Allow me to conclude with one story of a disciple. This was a church in another state, quite a distance from here, that I was with and did a making the ship weekend, and uh, it happened to be a Presbyterian church, and their elders were quite taken with the idea of moving from member identity to disciple identity. And they decided that during worship, in the coming months, each elder who would, would have an opportunity to step to the pulpit and share her, her or his faith story, describing what being a disciple means to them. They happened to be doing this during the season of Lent, and so it was Sundays before Lent started and up until Easter, and I happened to be there again during one of those Sundays. And when I was there, it was Janet's turn. 
And so I was seated participating in the service and it came that time and Janet stepped up to the pulpit area and she had her, her papers with, this, with her. She wasn't used to speaking to the congregation and was shaking somewhat and her voice was quivering. And then once she got started, she gained some strength with her voice and she describes her situation in that she works at the library in their city, the main campus of the library. It's right downtown. And she described that she's worked there for a long time and every time she goes into the building, uh, the large population of people experiencing homelessness around the building uh, was present and they, someone, various people would typically approach her when she moved from the parking area into the building and ask if she could help. She gave her usual response, which is, I give some funding to the nonprofit ministry. Can I help you find your way there? And she would help them find their way to the nonprofit ministry who specialized in helping uh, people experiencing homelessness. So this would happen every day, nearly for her. When she went out on breaks and she went out for lunch breaks, the same experience would take place. And she described that one evening, she and her husband went to uh, a symphony that was taking place in a venue near the same area in their city, the same uh, location. And moving from the parking lot in, into the venue before the event, uh, there were two sets of families. It was a, a mother and children, two sets of them, who approached them uh, looking for some assistance. They gave, she and her husband gave their answer they normally give. And then they went on in without thinking much about this. But she said it was the oddest symphony experience she has ever had because it was like with her vision was a split screen on the computer. That on this side, she could see the faces of these two family units who had just talked with her in the parking area. And then on this side of the screen, it was like scrolling words of scripture from Matthew 25. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was imprisoned and you visited me. The words of Matthew 25, this description. She said it was the most disturbing symphony she had ever been in. and It was hard to enjoy the music at all, but then she said to her church, to her community of faith, I think God might be calling me to be involved in a more significant way with people in these circumstances in our community. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to need you to help me discern my next steps with this calling and to help me have the courage to follow through with it. And she said, that's what being a disciple means to me. What does it mean to you? And she stepped down. So brothers and sisters in Christ, and leaders in this church, I want to leave you with these thoughts. Something in God's church is rising. Something in God's church is moving forward. It is this Jesus-shaped love movement that's rising up and taking shape. This stream of God's activity is flowing. God is on the move. 
So banish the fear. Send it away. And focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And let's do this. Let's rise up and be God's people in this place for this time. Through the grace and power and love of Jesus Christ, may it become so. Amen.